0: And welcome back to Who Knew We Didn't. I am Megan, and over across from me is my colleague Marta, and we are happy to have you back to join our journey through the world of psychology. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about sports psychology, uh, but it's going to be kind of a different approach this time around, uh, at least a little different than what we've done in the past. Uh, So if you've listened to any of our earlier episodes, you know that Marta and I often share the stage and both sort of come prepared to teach the other something new. But today, Marta is going to be teaching me about sports psychology because I don't know shit. Uh,
1: Well, (laughs) I'm going to be talking about it at you. I don't know if I'll be teaching. But.
0: Hopefully. I Well, if I learn something, then you've taught me, right? <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, so you can you can probably already tell that Marta has a background in psychology and that I do not. Uh, and in researching sports psychology, I quickly found myself out of my depth and uh, unable to really find proven research. So to mix things up a bit, Marta's going to teach me about sports psychology, or she's going to try to at least. And if we have time, I may talk about some common applications. Applications and techniques uh, around sports psychology or of sports psychology to wrap things up. Uh, but to to start off a brief description for you fine listeners, sports psychology is an interdisciplinary science that draws on knowledge from many related fields, biomechanics, uh, physiology, kinesiology and psychology. It involves the study of how psychological factors affect performance and how participation in sport and exercise affect psychological and physical factors. And in addition to instruction and training of psychological skills for performance improvement, applied sport psychology may also include things like working with athletes, coaches, and parents through injury rehabilitation um, team building and career transitions so just a kind of overview there I don't know <laughs> just to give you a baseline um, do you want to get started now Marta do you want me to talk at all a little bit more or are you, I'm, are you feeling? I'm
1: ready to get started <laughs> okay <laughs> I cool. don't know we're doing good
0: so far doing well oh my gosh I made that mistake doing good I had a friend who in high school really that was a a pet peeve of his when people would say I did good (laughs) instead of I did well and it drove him so insane I remember a girl did well on a test and so did he and he was he asked her how she did and she's like oh I did good I did good he's like you did good well did you volunteer you you did well (laughs) are you doing good in the community yeah anyway sorry sidebar yeah um sounds like I'd be friends with him you would be. He was really cool. Oddly enough, he was a professional athlete. Oh shit. Whoa! Full circle. Yeah, he uh, was a really incredible figure skater. And uh yeah, it was I was it's funny that I thought of him. I was just talking about him with Taylor the other day cuz we were figure watching skater. Olympic figure skating. That's so cool. Yeah, he was he was awesome. He was really awesome. Yeah.
1: Um okay, so jumping into sports psychology off of that. Yeah, sorry. amazing <laughs> segue. No, it was good. Um, According to the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, um, a sports psychologist uses their knowledge and skills to address optimal performance, well-being of athletes, developmental and social aspects of sports and participation. Uh, And that's kind of what I agree with. Like when I think of sports psychology, I think of Um, psychology of teams, how that affects a person and also what you need in order for a team to function properly, like how a person changes when they've been on successful teams as well. Um, Also, psychology of performance, I think, is different from psychology of teams, like how to make yourself
0: the best athlete all the time and like what that mindset is, that sort of thing. That's totally what I think of when I think of sports psychology is the psychology of the performance. I don't really think about A team, which is maybe um,
1: like it's kind of like interactive and relationship thinking, which is a little bit of foreshadowing onto (laughs) our next episode. Sorry. No, no, it's good uh, because I didn't really go too far into the psychology of like teamwork because I think we're going to cover that a little bit more in psychology of relationships. Um, Also, how sports affect children and how they train you for life and they give you the skills for the future. So that's what I think of also. And then there's a sociology of sport that I think of as well, Hmm. Um, which is something I came across and I'll touch upon later on. But for the beginning, I'm going to talk about the common areas of study um, in sports psychology. So the first one is how personality uh, interacts with sports psychology. So that relates to mental toughness um, at who this person is just like who they are outside of the sport and how it interacts with how they play the sport. So somebody who doesn't have a fair bit of mental toughness will unlike, is unlikely to be a good athlete until they develop that. Um, youth sport is another area of study. So just like I said, how getting kids involved in sports is affecting them later on in life, like how that teaches them how to be a good member of society. And there's quite a bit of it, information about that, which also ties in with developmental psychology. Mm -hmm. So I didn't dive into it too much because I want to do a whole episode on developmental psychology. I know you do. (laughs) I get so (laughs) excited. Um, coaching. So it's, there's two sides of sports psychology of coaching. There's how a coach can use psychology to be a better, like to influence their team, but also, coaches are also kind of like players or athletes too, because they have to be at their top.
0: Oh, they're definitely as much of a team member as everybody else. And like all head coaches, assistant coaches, it's absolutely, I watch a lot of NHL and <laughs> the coaches are sometimes my favorite part of the game they, they they're in it. Yeah. They're in it to fucking win it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally um, team processes. So psychologists can have consult or psychologists can be consultants for a team, uh, to be like, oh, your team's not functioning effectively here, or, um, they're not working together or they don't believe as a group, they believe only in the individual and that sort of thing. So, uh, a lot of big professional teams will actually bring in a psychologist to
0: address those kinds of issues. I feel like sometimes they bring in a team of psychologists or they bring in like a team of, of people who, yeah look exactly at that and say like this is where you're having trouble and uh these people need to work with this person on this thing and i think that it's it's really it's super formulaic cool. when you get to the super professional like yeah nba nhl nfl leagues
1: yeah and what i oh shoot i forget I think it was a podcast that I was listening to, but it was about uh, the NFL. And one of the guys was talking about how he used to be like, as soon as he made it pro, it's a different kind of team dynamic. He's like, I used to be really hot headed. I used to know I was the star of the team. I used to be really individualistic. And like a couple of times I threw a fit and they like, I threw a fit because of something like somebody didn't pass me the ball properly or whatever. Or like I screwed up because of somebody, because of what I thought was somebody else's problem. And he's like, the shift that I had to make mentally in order to be like part of a cohesive team he's like it's it's a relationship and they let me they let me like go off on my own have my little fit and then I have to come back and they're like that's okay we get it we accept you and I also apologized I can't I wish I knew more details about this and I tried to find it while I was researching but it was just interesting to hear an athlete be like I had to actually reframe how I thought about a team. So the rest of the research that I have about sports psychology is really disjointed. So get ready for a bunch of random facts. Can't wait. Which is uh, just me in a nutshell.
0: Uh, the sorry. next thing
1: I found about sports psych is uh, evolutionary perspectives. So there's been some research, not a lot. Um, and I I found this on the Wikipedia page. So it was like it, I got really excited about some of the research and I was like, oh, I'm going to go look at the the like the article for this because whenever I see something on wiki I follow up by looking at the actual article all of them said like citation needed citation needed my favorite well one of my favorite uh areas of study in psychology is evolutionary psych I feel like I say favorite area of study a lot about a lot of different areas because I like psychology in general but psych is something I get really fired up about um and there are a few studies about the tie between testosterone and sports. So home team advantage might actually be an psych thing. Um, animals tend to display increased testosterone levels when they're
0: defending their home territory. Interesting. Yeah. So do players. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. They. Is it because you're defending your territory or is it because you have that on your side?
1: Well, it, with animals, it's they're defending their territory. Like a competing group comes in mm-hmm. and the home like bonobos or whatever is defending their territory. Their testosterone levels actually go up in order to like protect their herd. Bonobo? Bonobos are one of the like chimp
0: family animals that we study for. I think bonobo is an artist as well. Oh, maybe. Like an electronic artist. I don't know um cool never heard of that never knew that thing about the testosterone either <laughs> yeah. uh formerly
1: bonobo is formerly called the pygmy chimpanzee oh cool
0: yeah they're
1: it is also an artist i, I knew yeah. it <laughs> um n- but they don't know exactly why it happens with athletes or like sports teams they've just observed the same That's the word not artifact thing happening I don't know. Um, I was looking
0: for a more academic word, No, I'm, I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm, I don't know the word either, but I'm Um, with you. Also
1: testosterone changes when, uh, your, your status changes. So if you're like, if you rise or get lower in status on your sports team, your testosterone changes, but I couldn't find the article to it. So I don't
0: know how. I believe that. Yeah. That kind of just makes logical sense that if you if you are consistently doing better and better and moving up amongst your team or amongst your peers that are playing in the sport, you're going to feel jazzed and pumped about yourself. And if you yeah. are moving down or if other people are passing by you, that's not going to, like, increase your testosterone. Your testosterone. It's going to make you self-conscious. It's going to make you, like, yeah shrink.
1: It's just interesting that your body changes how many, like, the... Amounts of hormones that it secretes yeah, based on your situation. Wild. Um, and then testosterone increases before sports competitions. Oh
0: especially yeah.
1: Especially if the event is perceived as a real challenge, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and testosterone is responsible for making men really powerful. Uh, what's also interesting about testosterone. I don't know if I've said this and it's unrelated to sports psychology, but testosterone is actually kind of a poison for the body. Uh, It has it raises men's risk of like diseases. It lowers your immunity to certain things. And so men who exhibit high testosterone uh, and are still like men who exhibit high testosterone, it's kind of more of a sign of their evolutionary prowess or like their genetic strength, because if they if they have high testosterone and they're like still succeeding in life, that means that their bodies are like even better because they're dealing with this poison. I'm not, I'm not explaining it properly, but also women's evaluations of male attractiveness are very closely based to uh, features that are linked to testosterone. So women like a wider ratio, like wider shoulders, narrower waist. And that comes with like higher testosterone, the higher the testosterone, the bigger that triangle shape. Also met uh, women tend to be more attracted to really strong jaw lines, which is a high testosterone
0: thing. Huh? Yeah, it's, Cool, testosterone is like I would have thought that was just genetics. Like if your mom or dad had a strong jawline, then your son will. Is I mean, that not the truth? Men who have <laughs> men who have lower testosterone have softer jawlines.
1: Huh. Yeah. So it's like it's it, it's. I think it's two things, or maybe they're comorbid.
0: If somebody was taking. Like performance-enhancing hormone drugs would that change. like change their jawline? I don't. Do you know think if it would, would make it more jawline?
1: But like, have you noticed that like when people go through transition, like through gene- um, gender transitions, yeah, they start taking diff- the like estrogen pills or whatever, their bodies actually start looking more effeminate. Like it changes the oh yeah body yeah lives. yeah, and vice versa yeah. for
0: sure for sure. So
1: I don't know. That's crazy. We'll we'll go into that. Also, there's like a lot of really cool studies about like women sniffing men's shirts during different periods of their ovulation cycle that I get. Yeah. It's just this research is so interesting. Like it's so like, huh? Who knew? (laughs) So we'll get into that into the the psychology of relationships. I think. Oh, will we? I, well, I want to do it then. Yeah. Fine. Like attractiveness. Do what you want. Well, we'll see if I remember. Um, next up, I found a, uh, there's a clinical and sports psychologist. His name is Craig Cypher. Um, and he, I liked his, I found his website, um, and it gave me a good idea of what a sports psychologist actually does. So he offers performance enhancement. So athletes can hire him to improve their own performance, which is obviously, um, he also offers clinical services, um, like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, so he uses sports therapy, or like sports as a way to help people with like anxiety or ADHD or whatever. Cool. Yeah, which is very cool. And there's a lot of research that actually reminds me there's research that supports that exercise is very strongly linked to improving like mental health. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's not just the endorphins that are released during exercise. It's actually the thing, like it's actually things that you have to do mentally in order to exercise or while you're exercising, it improves your general mental and co- mental health and cognitive functioning, which is cool.
0: I think there's also a, uh, like, I can't think of a specific study that would say this, but I can think of anecdotal evidence that, um, having behavioral issues, um, and, and being somebody who acts out or who, who misbehaves to an extreme degree, getting them involved with team sports is a good way to help them out of that either as a way to help them release their aggression, help them learn to work with others, help them, uh, like gain feelings of personal success, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And I see that with skiing as well. So it's skiing is kind of more of an individual sport, uh, and today, the reason I'm tying it is because today I was teaching skiing. And so yeah, Marta is like a big time
0: skier for <laughs> listeners. She teaches others to ski.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I had this girl that was a problem child in her group um, and she was having just major attitude problems. She also has been diagnosed with ADHD, which is just uh, personally, I feel like parents rely on that as a crutch to not solve other behavioral issues sometimes they're like oh well my child has ADHD so you can't expect them to act right and i'm like well self fulfilling prophecy <laughs> if you don't think that they're capable of it they'll never become ca- anyway Uh, but encourage your children (laughs) yeah so she was just like throwing a fish she was swatting at me she was running away from me whatever whatever turns out like because we were supposed to go on the bunny hill and she's like well I just want to go straight and I was like well we can't just go straight down because we're gonna crash and we're gonna hurt ourselves like and then you won't be able to ski again uh like today you're gonna hurt yourself and after I finally got her to do one run she was a completely different child huh because she's actually a great skier Uh, We went down. The first run was like a little shaky, but she was doing okay. And then like after three runs, she was turning and stopping on a dime and whatever. And it was like her first or like her second time skiing ever. And she was a completely different child. She was happy and confident and whatever. It was just because she was unsure of her abilities. And that was in the morning. And for the rest of the day, she was a great kid. Wow. I was like, okay, well, that was an extreme example because she actually turned on a dime. It was crazy, but.
0: Yeah. Anyway, behavioral issues can be solved with skiing is what I'm saying. (laughs) Have I ever told you about the one time that I went skiing?
1: Yeah, you told me it was
0: a disaster. Yeah, it was a disaster. (laughs) I was was not that girl. I was not successful. I got to the bottom of that bunny hill and was like, we're done for now. We're done for today. You guys have a great time. It's because you're long. See you at lunch. I find long-limbed children. I was a short kid. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't grow until the summer between grade eight and grade nine. I was like the fifth shortest kid in my grade eight class. And then I was the tallest girl for the rest of high school.
1: I was always the tallest. And then I think in like grade seven, I, or maybe grade eight, I was like five, six. And I just stayed that height and just continued to get wider. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sports, change your body, change your mind. (laughs) Uh, so Craig Cipher, as I was saying, he also offers services for psychological skills for injury recovery. So one, a big challenge for athletes is when they get injured by playing the sport, they sometimes suffer from like PTSD, that sort of thing. So like I was competing at an Olympic level and
0: then this happened, like, how do I get back? How will I ever get back there? I'll never get to, and there's, I think if you're a professional athlete as well, Uh, especially for a very publicized sport there's a lot of talk and anticipation with you coming back and like I think that would be a really uh, difficult thing to overcome as an athlete whether you're like a team sport or an individual sport if there's people in your community who are like talking it up that you have to come back after this you know four month, six month, 10 month long injury. You're like, what if I'm not ready? Yeah. What if I'm not ready? Or like, what if I don't perform? What if I'm not immediately as good as I was before I left? Like, yeah, what do I do? Or like the longer you're gone or the more frequent injuries you have, like the more that becomes part of your reputation and, um, what people say about you. And I think as a professional athlete, that's big that's yeah yeah that's really big it's a whole other side to the sport that you don't really think about
1: yeah and we'll touch upon that as well like how to or how that affects athletes like if they're outwardly focused versus internally focused Mm -hmm. um and then finally the final thing that he offers is training and consultation for existing teams uh also though for parents school staff and mental health professionals so Uh, he trains parents on how to be supportive and how to like, I guess, breed good athletes. Like, (laughs) yeah, breed mentally healthy athletes. Um, then he also had an article about factors that can put an athlete at risk for losing their passion and commitment that they had for sports. So this is something interesting to me. So it's not even like about how to get great at sports is how to keep sports in your life. So there's four factors that put you at risk. One of them is that you're new, that there's too many challenges. Mm -hmm. Like if you, for example, are new to a pro league or something like that, or if you're just new to the sport in general, there's a lot of things to put you at risk. So he says, stay in, stay excited. Uh, Another factor that puts you at risk for losing your passion is if you turn your focus outward. So if you're focusing on the people, um, who want you to perform well, or you're focusing on the fans or you are I don't know, anybody outside of yourself and your team that puts you at risk for losing your passion because there's just too much pressure, uh, that, uh, instead, oh, instead focus on the controllables. So focus on your effort that you can put in, focus on your attitude and focus on your response to things. And those are the only things that you can control is how much you put into things, uh, next up is you obsess over pressure. So instead, put your body first. Stress takes a huge toll mm-hmm. on your physical <laughs> state. Yeah. Yeah. And also your mental functioning. So you can't like assess the court as quickly if you're under stress, or you can't, y- your reflexes slow down if you're under stress. Uh, no, I think they actually speed up that specifically.
0: But like if you're under emotional stress, well, cause I, I think no, I'm, I'm just, just thinking, yeah, it's true. They might be a little more erratic though. Like yeah. you might be faster to react, but you might not like they think about like, what your yeah, reaction process is. Process yeah. much.
1: Um, process. That's the word. And then finally you've lost your balance. So the, like you fell over. that's what I was thinking I was like well that's (laughs) stupid Um, I thought it was funny (laughs) oh no not you I meant like he put that in the article as like it's a risk factor and I was like wait all these other risk factors were like insightful and then he's like you lose your balance and I'm like what people lose their passion for their sport if they fall over oh I think it's a it's like a pun (laughs) (laughs) um he said so it's about the extent to which you identify as an athlete There's research that supports the idea that if you identify really strongly as an athlete and not really anything else, that your self-esteem takes a huge toll. So you determine your self-worth based on all your... Like your identity is that
0: you are an insert sport playing.
1: So if your performance doesn't meet like your criteria or whatever, if you play poorly, then you have really low self-esteem after that game because you don't remember that you're also a a
0: brother you're also a best friend like that sort of thing like if i'm not if i'm not a football player what am i yeah if i'm not like the best football player what am i Yeah. yeah so
1: it's it's interesting that they he says you can't let your athletic performance or like you can't let being an athlete define you because when you think of all of those big athletes i think of like that's their definition that's who they are but it's
0: I wonder about that sometime. I also wonder about like, especially cause I watch a lot of NHL and I wonder a lot about what hockey players, um, think about themselves because there is an expiry on being an athlete, especially at that level. Like there's you, an
1: expiry on being a gymnast and it's terrifying.
0: Yeah. Like, like you're eventually our bodies get older and like, we, we can't fucking skate as fast or we can't skate at all because skating's hard or like you know you just you can't you can't compete the way that you used to you will eventually hit that level and I wonder about what any of them think about their themselves or what their life is outside of hockey and like or or like insert sport here but like
1: I think a lot of their training or a lot of like their time with psychologists goes into determining their other attributes like there are other pieces of self-worth I think well not a lot but I think that they do also focus on like you have other things that define you as
0: well as you're an athlete I hope so it just feels like it's so demanding to be a professional athlete that like I don't know being an unprofessional not athlete (laughs) (laughs) i look at it and think oh you're every every ounce of your energy must go into being an athlete yeah so what energy do you have left to be yeah yeah yeah. a brother or a father or a mother you know whatever craig
1: cipher says don't do that don't let being an athlete take over your life only um next up of sports psychologists i found dr chris harwood who says that who says says there's five c's of mental skills in sports um well actually before i go in here do you know of mark mccormick do i know him no no of him of him no so he's the founder of img the international management group he also has a bunch of books on like how to be the best performer and whatever that sort of stuff i don't know he's a big name apparently okay In like sports management i believe you Um, and he has a quote that says most athletes by the time they get to the professional level, like all of them kind of have the same levels of being blessed with skill, um, and being blessed with confidence. Like they all think that they're the best and they all have a lot of skill. What makes a champion? Cause every, every sport kind of has like a champion or every team has like a champion, their like, star player. Yeah. I think of Sidney Crosby is like hands down. Yeah. yeah. The main example. And so he's like, well, what him makes, and a couple other guys. I well, don't know, I don't watch a lot of hockey. So they, no, just <laughs> Pittsburgh happens to
0: have like three kind of mega stars. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and he says that the, their edge exists only in their minds, which is where psychology comes in. Cause like they're pretty much at the same physical level uh, and they're at the same confidence level in their skills because they're all professional. They were all validated that they're great. Uh, just the difference, what makes them champions, what makes them the stars is in their minds. Hmm. So it's like their beliefs that they hold in their mental uh, skills. And so Dr. Chris Harwood, to tie this back, says, says that there's, The five C's of mental skills in sports. To preface this, I hate it when somebody says like, oh, the three R's or the (laughs) five C's or whatever, because I feel like they compromise like the acuity of the words that they choose just to get them to fit in with like C words or like R words. But reading through these, they all do feel. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Appropriate. So the five C's are commitment, communication, concentration, control, and confidence. So commitment is perseverance r- or persistence, resilience in the sport and improving that. yourself. Exactly. Uh, communication is positive and proactive communication with your team members and with your, uh, like your coaches and your league, your that support sort of system. Thing. Exactly. Concentration, focus on the right now. And a lot of people talk about that. Mm. I'll, I'll talk about a Ted talk that I listened to as well about focusing on the right now control is managing thoughts and emotions. So when you have that failure, having the mental
0: strength to not let that failure define you or to um, like, not let your emotions overtake you in a moment where,
1: yeah, if you're pissed, you know, a better
0: decision could be made. Yeah. If yeah. you're
1: pissed that you screwed up, like don't beat someone up or whatever, cause that'll ruin your career. Uh, and then confidence so that's playing without the fear of mistakes. So confidence What I like about playing without the fear of mistakes, it's confidence isn't cockiness. Like it isn't a blind, like I'm the best. It's I might make mistakes, but don't be afraid of that. Yeah,
0: it like very much accepts that there will be mistakes, but pardon me, got a little frog in my throat there. (laughs) You will make mistakes, but you will overcome them and you will have other opportunities to be better and shit like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, this ties into the TED Talk that I was listening to. So uh, the TED Talk was called How to Open up the next level of human performance. And the guy was saying historically in regular sports, we break records every five to 10 years, but in adventure sports or extreme sports, like rock climbing, skiing, snowboarding, whatever people were breaking records like every few months. And he's like, how does that happen? Hmm. Uh, And so he, after further research, like looking into it further adventure sports, athletes tend to go into a state of flow. What's called flow. Um, And if you have researched meditation, that sort of thing, or like how to be like a highly effective CEO or executive, people talk about the concept of flow, which is living in the now. Um, It's interesting because it actually shuts down a lot of your brain. Like it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which is where a lot of those like, uh, that's where like your risk assessment comes in. That's where a lot of processing is, but that's also where the Maybe I can't do this idea comes in in your prefrontal cortex. Like, so Whoa. it shuts down your inhibitions a little bit. Um, and you're living very much in the now. You have no sense of time, that sort of thing. That's the idea of flow. Uh, also, your neurochemistry changes when you're in flow. Uh, and he was talking about five neurochemicals. I can't remember them and I didn't write them down like a dink, um, but they, they improve mental and physical performance. These five neurochemicals that get released when your body's in a state of flow or your mind's in a state of flow. It's also known as runner's high. Um,
0: oh, okay. Yeah. I can identify it runner's high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: like, and I get that too. I'm not much of a runner, but like I've had it before where you're running and like every footfall on the pavement is pain, is pain, is pain until like you breach that pain and suddenly running's
0: great. Yeah. And And it's like, I'm not getting a cramp. I ran like way more blocks than I did last time. And I don't hurt. Yeah. And And I don't want to stop.
1: You're just hanging out running. Yeah. And it's weird. And I hate being the kind of person that has felt that because I used to hate runners, people that are like, I love running. I'm like, I hate you, (laughs) but now I feel it. And I understand it.
0: And I don't know if I love running. I haven't gone for a run in a long time, but I used to run a lot. Um, and I felt really good about myself, but I didn't really love running. Like running does suck yeah. always. like
1: Especially getting to that state of runner's high. Yeah. Starting a work. run is
0: awful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, so um, that kind of goes with the whole concentration idea with the five C's that like living in the now being focused on the now is a really big thing in improving confidence hmm. uh,
0: or improving not confidence, but like sports performance. Um, I don't know. I feel like it would probably improve yeah. confidence. Oh, yeah. And, um, I feel like, like it all is, um, maybe a little bit interdependent. Like think, all of these C's, yeah. C's may rely on each other a little bit.
1: Maybe not even improving confidence, but like decreasing out. Yeah. 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 Another Ted talk that I listened to was the secret of elite athletes. There's actually like hundreds of tech, not hundreds, but there's a ton of Ted talks about sports improvement or like (laughs) performance improvement, which was interesting. Also overwhelming. So I just listened to the first (laughs) two. Um, the secret of elite athletes is that they envision the thing happening. So
0: Oh, Megan, get really notes excited!
1: On this. Sorry, her notes. imagery. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. Um, I have notes on on these techniques. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: I just have one more thing to cover, no. and then Do I it. I Do know it. you have quite a few
0: pages. Of no, research. no. I just I felt a little bad about this one because I felt like you were sort of doing the work, and so I like did a bunch of research that was oh, in no. my realm of Darn. understanding, and. I just kind of got excited. It was like, oh oh. Was, I can raise my hand now. <laughs> I actually lied. I have more than just one more thing. You so go, I'm gonna fly say through. Say all, the all the things, <laughs> okay. all the things. Say all the things. I do whatever you want.
1: So I was on Reddit. Um and because I was like, well, MFM finds a lot of things on Reddit. So like I'll do my research on Reddit. Yeah. Cause I was kind of getting nowhere, uh elsewhere, and I found a ton on Reddit. One article that I found that was really, really interesting, it was by a guy who's doing his PhD currently in clinical and sports psychology. Um, And it was very research-based, which I really like to hear and see. So the article was about esports. So gamer teams, like teams of gamers who compete at an international level. This is interesting to me. And sports psych has a really interesting home here because esports aren't so much about the physical ability. And like, they're not so much about like you don't really see the team you're playing against and there's not really such a thing as like home court advantage because you can play esports like around the globe which is interesting so there's like even more mental like yeah. things happening i'm waving my arms around but you guys can't see that i guess
0: um i mean you have to have like a certain <laughs> adeptness at video games but otherwise yeah i yeah. think esports are are pretty mental yeah
1: like you're you need to have fast fingers but like for example when i think of like a hockey player they need to be able to skate really well but they also need to have good puck handling uh they also
0: need to have like fighting skills because hockey players fight all the damn time not all of them have good <laughs> fighting sales it's very funny sometimes when they try to people fight. pick a fight and you're like uh, <laughs> what's your plan here bud
1: yeah um, so, there's this idea a rule of five. Five people are the ideal amount of people to have on an esports team huh. because you're guaranteed that there's at least two unique opinions, and also someone is likely to share your opinion, and there's no ties. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, also, something that's interesting because there's a lot of decision making in esports uh, versus in, I think, in like, I guess, reality sports. <laughs> physical sports there's like there's plays and stuff like there is decision making but also there's more like i don't know i guess plays like you could play defense i know what you mean
0: where like there's the ability to practice and like rehearse sort of like to have like an arsenal of of these are the things that we do when we are in this position and like i have a selection of three as opposed to in esports when it's like well we can't really have a play it's sort of um um, what's the word? It's fresh every time. it's it's um, although both of us have never played eSports, so that's cool. Cool. I would never have ever thought of talking about eSports as a sports psychology thing. Uh, I don't really imagine like, like it's kind of funny to think of, sports psychology and that, you know, there's a person there who's like helping you stay motivated and like see the end zone and all that shit. I think of like a boxer, the person who's like needing their muscles as they're on the side of the ring, but it's esports, Yeah. So it's a funny, (laughs) (laughs) funny idea. It's a funny thing
1: to picture, but yeah, totally. Something interesting also from this article was that the first opinion is usually the majority opinion. Uh, so when they're deciding what to do on the spot, the first person to speak is usually the person who ends up like the decision that ends up happening, even if there's competing opinions, which is interesting because this relates to the science of negotiating. Hmm. Um, when you're negotiating a raise or not a raise, but like a salary, for example, when you're interviewing the first person to put a number out, that's the number that governs the discussion. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it like whenever you're negotiating your own like whenever you're negotiating your own salary in a new job or something, you be the first one to put a number out and also highball it, which is just interesting. Like you never think of it that the first number said is the one that governs it, because if you let them speak first, like your employer speak first and they lowball you, that will skew your outcome
0: lower even if well, you're yeah excellent. like if your employer speaks and low balls you you can't be like, well no, I'm gonna ask for five thousand more because exactly. that's outrageously too much, even if that was the number you were walking in with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and he said that there's four foundational elements of a team. So this isn't necessarily like sports performance. This is team performance. Uh there's consistency. So practicing at the same time, practicing in the same way, uh support. Uh, So that means communication, trust, which takes longer to establish than support and consistency, and also team cohesion. Uh, And if you don't have those four, then your team reaches a plateau and they don't improve. But if you do have all four and they're working in synchrony, your team will likely flourish. Hmm. Interesting. So to go on with sports and the idea of sports psychology, I also looked into sociology of sport um, and that kind of research it relates to sports psychology because it talks about like the history of sport or like how society treats sport uh, and how society acts dictates a lot about how individuals feel. Um, So pre pre pre-modern society. So before us now, um, they used to say competition is not for girls. So boys were put into competitive teams and sports and whatever versus girls were told to play nice. That was always kind of a thing. Even In the days when we lived in huts and discovered fire, Hmm. um, sports and games were supposed to also prepare children for adulthood, which is really cool. Um, And that's like and so like tribal people would actually put their kids into sports and games specifically
0: to prepare them for adulthood. I think it's an important um, way to socialize your child. Yeah. You have to learn to play together. You have to learn to like grow up and be able to play together.
1: Yeah. And so historically, that's like always been a thing which is cool to see. Yeah, I buy that. Um, And then on the media, I read a really interesting statistic. Sports viewership varies by gender, which makes sense. So people view sports, like men watch more sports typically, um, and they tend to watch male sports more. Also, men's sports are more prominent in the media versus women's sports. Uh, On the NCAA news, for example, the text and text space is greater by two to one of men's sports over women's. So oh. men's sports text is two, two times bigger than female sports text, like when they're reporting uh-huh. on it. Um, and also the pictures of male athletes are about two to one.
0: That's what I love about the Olympics, just because we're coming up on the Olympics, is that there's kind of no opportunity for that yes. or less opportunity for that, I guess I Which should say. Standardized. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because like for every male sport, there's a a female athlete or team as well. Yeah. And actually, I don't know about everywhere, but like in Canada, I feel like um, the last few Olympics that I've paid attention to. What?
1: No, I thought there was an event that's males only. Not that I can
0: think of. I mean, like I know the roster of events for the Olympics. There's only like I don't actually even know the number like a hundred. There are like a hundred different events in the Olympics. So in
1: 20, okay. In 2012, women's boxing was added before that women's boxing didn't exist in the Olympics. Women's ski jumping was only added in 2014. That's why I know this. Really? Ski jumping. Yeah. Um, that's wild golf. Oh no, that doesn't tell me anything. Uh, there was two discontinued sports, golf and rugby, and they returned for the twenty sixteen Olympics.
0: But yeah, and they ski- didn't do women's rugby. No, no, that
1: has nothing to do with gender. It was oh, just, okay, okay. Uh, this is just like an Olympic. I was gonna say
0: women's rugby is fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, this
1: is just like an Olympic. <laughs> they should be playing that shit <laughs> thing. But yeah, women weren't allowed to ski jump. Whoa, yeah, until twenty fourteen in the Olympics.
0: That's really late. That's a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, Well, what I was going to say is, like, it it has felt like um, the last few Olympics that I've been paying a fair bit of attention to over the last probably 10 years I've started paying attention to the Olympics, Um, the female sports were really highly anticipated. Like, women's hockey in Canada is always highly anticipated. But, like, women's volleyball in the last summer Olympics, like, people were crazy for that shit.
1: But, like, how come women have to wear, what is it, the beach volleyball rules are that they have to wear, like basically nothing on the bottom it was like a basically a thong wasn't it or am i imagining something
0: um it wasn't a thong they were little shorts and they had their bellies were showing for sure but i'm now trying to remember what did the men wear were they wearing little shorts beach volleyball i'm more concerned about the men's outfits because i remember the women's ones
1: the women's ones are skimpy as hell yeah they are skimpy like those underwear I wouldn't even like, those are smaller than my. Yeah.
0: They had the visors too.
1: Uh, was there anything else you wanted to say about Olympic sports?
0: Psychology? I'm I'm excited for the Olympics.
1: Women's things were really highly anticipated.
0: Oh yeah. Just that, that yeah, it has felt like in the Olympics at least, um, women and men are getting equal. Uh, spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. um,
1: Okay, the final thing that I wanted to talk about is exercise psychology. So exercise psychology is tied into sports psych. Um, A lot of research loops it together. Some research keeps it separate, so I just wanted to touch upon it as a separate thing. Um, A study or the study of exercise psychology increased in the 1950s and 60s. The same time that the study of sports psychology went up, uh, it's typically grouped into sports psych. As I said, plenty of research has noted the connection between exercise and depression. So, a moderate amount of exercise is more helpful than no exercise with depression treatment. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, meeting exercise requirements can aid in alleviating symptoms of avoidance disorders and anxiety disorders, and it can also improve your quality of life. Um, research. Recent research suggests that beyond mental health and well-being, sports can actually help improve cognitive ability, so they can help improve your processing capabilities, which is interesting because that TED Talk said that you want to turn off part of your brain in order to reach elite levels. But that was for adventure sports specifically, wasn't it? Well, the reason that adventure sports keeps breaking records is because they're in flow. And so like if regular sports were to break those same records, you'd have to be in flow. Yeah. But also I think maybe it's because adventure sports like the adventure sports themselves have advanced in leaps and bounds like ski technology, for example, like in my lifetime, skis have gone from being like straight skis, like straight boards to being curved like skis Mm -hmm. with a radius cut into them. Yeah. It's one and the other, but it was a great TED talk.
0: I think also, um, I, and I might be completely off base in saying this, but like something like rock climbing or like, um, um, I don't know, parkour is that, do we call that, a, you know, like sure. these, yeah. these are things that like people may have been doing them for a very long time, but I don't think people were maybe pushing the limits or like keeping a record. Uh, also, true. you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not like, like we can, we can trace back to the beginnings of baseball and like the records of everybody who has played professional baseball over a hundred years Yeah, and hockey. And, you know, like you can, you can go back that far with a lot of other professional sports, but well, m- maybe you can't with rock climbing or
1: with skiing or snowboarding. Like there are, I can attest to the fact that there are actually like new records set all the time like I think there was a quad quirk landed last year which is a guy that does it's a 360 rotation and an inverted rotation so that's a quirk a quirk is when you do one 360 and one invert and so he landed it four. he did it four fucking times in the air I think so wow quad that's something to see snowboarding I'm googling it (laughs) (laughs) yeah world's first quadruple cork it wasn't last year it was in 2015 wow yes yeah, fucking insane anyway so like I'll bet that he's kind of at stuff the olympics yeah oh, <laughs> oh for sure um that kind of stuff it has been documented like cuz it wasn't really a thing like people didn't used to build jumps out of snow or I, I guess like anyway i'm going down a tangent this seems to be tangent city today
0: no no it's fair uh finally
1: i found a really great meta-analysis and i love meta-analysis because meta-analyses i don't know how to Analyses, say
0: it i think is how you would pluralize
1: analysis is um <laughs> because, i like that one yeah because they take all of the studies done on a certain topic smash them together do different statistical tests on them to check how strong the results are so when i talked about i think in our um social media episode when i talked about how oh there's such a small sample size or they pulled only from university students or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. K- doing a meta-analysis cancels those kinds of effects out to a certain extent um so if you see for example if you do research on only university students and you find a certain effect and then you do research on only adults over 50 and you find a different effect and the variations are different you can compare the two studies and like check how much of the variation can be accounted for the fact that they're university students or how Mm -hmm. much it can be accounted for whatever anyway so there's a really powerful meta-analysis run on resistance exercise training resistance training and how it improves anxiety symptoms and healthy participants so if you're like mentally healthy otherwise mentally healthy resistance exercise training is amazing for you for anxiety symptoms What's resistance training? Um, I think of this as anything with like weighted exercise or like anything where it's
0: not just body weight. So, oh. like, do you know resistance bands? Like those oh, rubber okay. bands? And yeah, stuff? it's just like if I were doing squats, but then I like fucking held dumbbells. Yeah, or yeah something.
1: like pushing stuff, pulling stuff that's resistance uh what's interesting that you asked me that the effects weren't at all moderated by the type of resistance training so like resistance bands don't have any better or worse effects than lifting weights oh which is interesting like i mean it makes sense to me because like using your muscles is using your muscles but like usually you do see a difference between different methods and how effective they are hmm Anyway, um, so that's for mentally healthy people, like otherwise healthy people, but for people who suffer from anxiety disorders or uh, physical or mental illness, the effects were still pretty damn strong. Hmm. So basically, if you have anxiety, just go do some resistance exercise training. Um, And Hmm. something that makes me really happy is that improvements didn't differ at all on sex. So male, female, both of us benefited equally cool. Yeah. And
0: that's, that's everything. Okay. And we're back. So, uh, thank you, Marta. Thank you, Marta for that, um, education. No problem. Bob. On the world of sports psychology, My pleasure. uh, just to make some use out of the couple hours that I spent looking she this shit up. In, Megan put in a lot of work. She asked <laughs> me to print out her pages and she
1: has like six pages of what size font is that? Like, uh,
0: It's a 12. It's oh. a, it's Calibri 12.
1: Okay, well, it's not double spaced like Calibri, my essays were.
0: Calibri, Calibri. I call it Calibri. Calibri. That's probably. That, that's probably. Probably. Probably, right. Um, okay. Probably is my favorite type of brie. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. I like brie um, baked and wrapped in oh. Pillsbury. Uh, crescent rolls I you make like you a bit of a pinball and then you, you told me it about the in.
1: brie baker good. that you got brie
0: dish brie? oh yeah 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 Ugh. yeah but you don't the, you don't you just do the brie in that yeah. dish you don't do the the breading on it the breaded brie is it's a nice treat it's a crowd pleaser if you have a potluck coming up
1: i was gonna keep going on that topic but then i remember how i how
0: I said that I wasn't going to go on tangents. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. I mean, in a lot of cases, I'd rather talk about cheese than most other things. So Same. I understand. Uh, <laughs> um, OK, so I, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about some common techniques used in the world of sports psychology. Um, so uh, the first technique or, or strategy, whatever you want to call it, uh, goal setting. What which are is, these techniques for? Pardon me? What are these techniques for? Uh, The goal of these techniques would be to assist athletes in their quest for optimal performance.
1: So it's something like a sports psychologist would do.
0: Yeah. Something that a sports psychologist would like uh, work with an athlete on or or a group of athletes. I suppose they might work with a team on some of these things, although it felt really individual when I was researching it, in in my opinion, Um, (laughs) as a non-athlete, as a non-athletic person who's...
1: Everybody's an athlete in their own way.
0: I can I can walk pretty fast. <laughs> you hey guys, that's no lie. I think we I we've cannot about this. run fast, but I can fucking walk. Speaking
1: of goal setting, like <laughs> Megan used to pass me on the way to work.
0: <laughs> and Marta's goal was to catch
1: up with me before no, I ma- reached the office. My or? goal was always to not allow the distance to increase. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was before I knew you too well. And I was like, I'm just not going to like go up
0: and bug her, but also. I'm not a friendly walker. I'm not either, and I just like that Zen me time in the yes. morning. Yes, I part of the speed comes with the I'm in my headphones. We're also I'm in listening my world. To podcasts for sure. Yeah, or like Michael Jackson, and so like it's just really fucking fast beat, and you <laughs> have to move see your I just you feet. like pop out in like Thriller day. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Thriller. I skip Thriller. It would be more like Pretty Young Things. Okay, yeah. anyway. <laughs> Common applications and techniques <laughs> of sports psychologists. Uh, the first one I will mention is goal setting. All of these, by the way, were not new to me, except for the one I'm going to mention last. They're, and they're all fairly self-explanatory. It's kind
1: of the thing that bothers me about psychology is like everything that you read is kind of like,
0: oh, well, yeah. yeah. Duh. yeah. <laughs> but like it's doing well in sports will make me feel good as a person. Duh. No shit. Yeah. It's like, but also kind of like hindsight
1: is twenty twenty to me because a lot of people wouldn't be able to name techniques in sports psychology to you but then when you read them they're like oh yeah i knew that yeah and i I do that a lot too or like when i tell calvin about stuff he's like oh yeah obviously And
0: i'm like well it's interesting taylor (laughs) does that too i'm (laughs) like well let me have my moment man i'm like i'm trying to teach (laughs) you he's like well i knew this (laughs) anyway no it's okay can i tell you a 2020 joke real quick absolutely (laughs) I saw a meme the other day, and it was this, it was like, um, people ask me where I'm going to be in, um, where I'm going to be in two years, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't have 2020 vision. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2018. Yeah. Anyway. That was perfect. It's a good one. That was really good. I laughed really hard at it, and the guy's like... <coughs> <laughs> she
1: just did like you a... see the faces. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, uh Megan just did like an arms out like sassy face <laughs>
0: like uh-uh <laughs> oh my god i'm never going to get through these this is gone good these techniques this has gone good <laughs> goal setting is the process of systematically planning ways to achieve specific accomplishments within a certain amount of time mm-hmm, makes sense uh yes uh and a, a couple notes on the practice of goal setting is uh the goal should be specific, measurable, difficult but still attainable. Are you going to tell me the SMART acronym? <laughs> I don't have an acronym. Specific. Specific. The- <laughs> I'm just specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and time-based.
1: SMART. S M A R T. Sorry.
0: I'm such a dick. No, you're really <laughs> like, smart. Are you going to tell me the <laughs> shit no it's okay it's okay I didn't uh I could have um m- uh, maybe I could have figured that out I didn't list them in that order so for me it's sm- <laughs> so I would never have got that that's how you spell smart <laughs> my god um yes so that's goal setting um <laughs> the next technique I'm just gonna skip right over that one at this uh, point. Yeah, so Marta <laughs> clearly already knows everything about goal setting. Um, imagery, which is like a visualization or or mental rehearsal, it's um, using multiple senses to create or recreate experiences in one's mind. Um, when applying this to sports, it means using all of your senses to rehearse your sport in your mind. What does victory smell like? What does victory smell like? Uh-huh. To me, um, sweat, probably a little bit of smoke. Like I imagine, like I have just cannons. walked out of a fire. Whoa. That's what it smells like to me. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's <laughs> where I'm from. Um, <laughs> victory smells like I'm walking out of a burning building. <laughs> yeah, I just walked through a whole explosion and i'm still standing i'm still standing still standing anyway
1: we're gonna skip over that one
0: too because i can't control myself uh self-talk self-talk refers to um the thoughts and words that athletes and performers say to themselves usually in their mind uh widely used in many sports it's like Um, bombarding your own unconscious mind with a single positive phrase. And it can be very effective and it's very easy to use for any athlete. So some examples would be like a golfer would say, this one's dirty, a golf, (laughs) which is why I'm going to tell you, (laughs) a golfer would say smooth stroke before putting Uh, before putting I wouldn't have thought themselves I wouldn't have thought anything suspect about it unless like if I hadn't said it was dirty really oh I was like (laughs) 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 smooth (laughs) stroke but I have a my mind's always in the gutter that's just how it
1: I mean usually same but (laughs) I thought it was gonna be something about putting it in the hole no
0: (laughs) right in the hole that's that's where I was
1: headed so when you're really smooth stroke I was like "Mm -hmm." could also be like a shaving slogan
0: uh, it probably is. It probably is. Yeah. I'm your Venus. I'm your smooth stroke. <laughs> I was imagining like the word smooth stroke. Yes. Oh, like over somebody's leg. In like Microsoft Word art. Yes. 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 Yes.
1: Now, over now I'm regretting well. that
0: I took too long because I have so many hilarious things to say. <laughs> um, okay. The next uh, technique pre-performance routines, uh, which are a sequence of tasks that are relevant thoughts and actions, which, um, an athlete will engage in like prior to their performance of a specific sport. Um, and these often incorporate other commonly used techniques like imagery or self-talk, um, the an important note is that like a routine a pre-performance routine is different from a ritual which I thought was really interesting because a ritual is like a superstition so like that's exactly where my mind went so I'm glad that you're like yeah specifying it's where mine went as well like because I was like, um, aren't rituals bad? Because if like if you don't have your lucky towel, then you're then, fucked. It, then you're fucked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's different. A pre-performance routine is distinct from a ritual. So you're right, a ritual would be um an athlete's belief that certain actions lead to certain outcomes. Uh, but the goal of a routine is to totally prepare the athlete for training or for competition. So everything done in a routine serves a specific and practical function. Uh, in their, like, getting ready process, um, like a physical and technical warm-up and a review of tactics for an upcoming competition, all of those sorts of things. A ritual, however, is associated with superstitions, and it's often, like, made-up things that don't have a practical impact, like wearing lucky socks or having your lucky towel or whatever. Um, Routines are also more flexible, so if you're late to your game, you can shorten your routine and you're still going to be prepared. But a ritual is very rigid and it's like ceremonial. Um, So just like to sum that up, you control your routine, but a ritual controls you. So it is an important difference there. Okay. Um, Now, the last technique that I want to talk about is the one that I did not understand, really. I was reading it and I was like thinking of people who I think of as being like, super top athletes, mm-hmm. um, and thinking they probably do this, but I don't get it. Like I don't understand okay. it exactly. It kind of confused me. So it's called arousal regulation. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, it rings a bell. You didn't look surprised. So that's bodes well. Um, so this refers to, and I'm going to read you the copy paste point form notes that I made about this. Mm-hmm. Um, It refers to entering into and maintaining an optimal level of cognitive and physiological activation in order to maximize your performance. Um, Flow. Is it flow? I think of flow. It includes relaxation if one becomes too anxious through methods like progressive muscle relaxation, relaxation, breathing exercises, meditation, or using like energizing techniques, like listening to music or energizing cues. If you're not alert enough, it's like a constant practice of meditation and mindfulness for an athlete so that they're able to better control their emotions and state of mind during the high intensity moment moments of their sport. And this whole time I'm thinking about Carrie price, who is the, um, like number one goalie for the Montreal Canadiens. And he's incredible. Like when you think about any professional sport, but especially a professional sport like hockey, like it's such an intense, like, and there's a lot of emotion in those sports and he is constantly calm. Like he's so cool. He never, his face never flinches. He never looks like he's sweating. He, he never looks fazed by anything. And he's an incredible athlete. He's, he's like, The best goalie in the nhl i think
1: Um, i think that it has to do with one
0: of the five c's is
1: control so like he's got
0: all the five c's he's got 10 fucking c's including his first name sorry (laughs) no i just i'm a big harry price fan. apparently
1: (laughs) um i think of because you're saying arousal regulation i think of control like managing your thoughts and emotion that's arousal yeah regulation but, but also it's also like, like managing hyped up
0: enough yeah keeping yourself hyped up but not letting yourself get too hyped up and yeah. like staying very laser focused hyper aware yeah. but not like you know like i don't know it just it feels like 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 it felt like the matrix a little bit where like neo can slow everything down when he needs to or speed everything up when he needs to that's like how I imagined this arousal regulation to like, that's your goal by the end of it, that you can.
1: Yeah. You know what ma- I do think those of things. like there's being too subdued and there's being like too activated. And then there's a sweet spot. There's like perfect like spot. Flow. Maybe it is flow. Like, or it relates to the idea of flow, like being in a perfect mental state because for example, I experience this with work. Like when I don't have any motivation or any stress or time pressure on me, I won't do it. Yeah. And then if I have too much time pressure, I get scared. My anxiety goes into overdrive. And so it like exhausts my adrenal glands. And so I get really tired. Like I get really sleepy if I'm under extreme stress, which is super weird. No, that's not weird. But there's like an ideal level of time pressure that makes me such an efficient, amazing worker so I think it's similar.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's a sweet spot. Yeah. Um, so sorry to, to get back to this. So in researching, um, arousal regulation, I came across this theory. It's called the mindfulness acceptance commitment theory, Mac theory. Um, it's the most common form of mindfulness in sport. Um, It's, it's a response to the absence of research supporting traditional psychological skills, training techniques like goal setting or imagery or self-talk or, um, even arousal control in some ways. It's actually disappointing how little research there is. Like yeah. there's such little empirical evidence. I was finding that too. And maybe research. that was why I was having trouble with the research is like all of these things are like, yes, of course this works. We can show that this works, but we don't know why. And there's not a lot of like study into it. It's just like, but also like why yes, study self-talk works. works.
1: Yeah, of course it works, but it's like anecdotal. Like we, there's so many things that we used to think
0: works, but maybe it's just believing the f- idea that it works. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, but there, there seems to be study around this particular theory. Um, the aim of this theory is to maximize human potential for a rich, full and meaningful life. So it's kind of outside of sports a little bit, um, but it's geared towards athletes, I guess. Um, it involves specific protocol, um, that involve meditation and acceptance practices on a regular basis, as well as before and during competition, um, where the focus of traditional psychological skills training programs is on the control of thoughts and feelings and the elimination of stress. This Mac approach aims to enhance performance through the promotion of a non-judgmental present moment awareness and acceptance of one's thoughts and emotions. So, um, Can Hmm. kind of flowish it sounds flowy
1: it bothers me that there's like kind of only anecdotal evidence about this because you said non-judgmental acceptance versus that mccormick guy that i quoted earlier yeah he went on to say that he thinks something that is unique in elite athletes or like champions part of like their mental state is that they are never satisfied with their performance and that they always are judging themselves and always thinking that they're like, being judged probably. Well, not that they're being judged, but they're always putting themselves down or like they're constantly dissatisfied. So that's why I'm upset that there's, it's all anecdotal because like on one side, his thing sounds kind of right. Like, cause they're always competing with their own. Past. Oh yeah. Like you always want to beat your own best. And so yeah. they're never, they're never accepting it. And then yours says that you have to accept. And so I just would like some
0: numbers and statistics because both of them seem right. Don't, don't look over here. If you're looking for (sighs) numbers or statistics, I don't have any, (laughs) not really. I, the, I did read this one thing. Um, oh yeah, there is an empirical test that was done using this approach. It was conducted through two case studies of, uh, one of an elite adult weightlifter and the other of a collegiate swimmer. Uh And the results showed that, um, the male swimmer scored significantly lower on a sport anxiety measure after going through the Mac program, the female power weightlifter was able to lift 15% beyond her previous best. And a subsequent case study found similar work results um, with an adolescent swimmer as well. Um, they were attempting to tailor this MAC protocol to be more practical for an adolescent. So they used a 12-year-old as their case study. And after performing the MAC protocol for several weeks, the diver showed um, between a 13 to 14% increase in his diving scores. So it's like apparently it works, but it's like... It's still one-off studies. Yeah, I'll I'll take you through. So you have to do like a bunch of different sessions. It's like a multi-week thing. Um, First one, participants, uh, it provides participants with the rationale and goals of the MAC approach, um, an explanation of the role of self-regulation of attention in sport performance, um, the importance of self-awareness, and an introduction to the idea of allowing thoughts and emotions to be experienced without letting them affect performance. Um, the next step in the program is to introduce the concept of mindfulness. So participants are provided instruction on engaging in mindful awareness so that they can become more self-aware and experience thoughts and emotions and all that shit, shat, uh, <laughs> you know, the all that shat. Of shit, uh, um, uh, in athletic situations without, um, reacting automatically to them and then it the program transitions into a discussion of values driven behavior participants will identify values and learn of the importance of acting in a manner that is congruent with these values instead of being influenced by their thoughts and emotions in the moment and the concept of acceptance is discussed as the ability to accept negative internal and external events without letting them affect your behavior is critical to maintaining these value-driven behaviors. Hmm. Yeah. And then uh, next, the specific behaviors and situations are defined so participants may practice the mindfulness and commitment and acceptance skills uh, that they've learned up to that point. And then finally, potential obstacles to mindfulness, commitment, and acceptance are explored and future practice of these skills is planned out. So that's... I feel like you
1: need quite the 12-year-old
0: yeah to no doubt but yeah it was just sort of like I don't I don't totally get this I also don't totally know why it was like named this way like it just all was sort of like like I get it I guess but I don't know it wasn't like that's like imagery made a lot of fucking sense and self-talk made a lot of sense and then i got here and i was like the fuck does this mean well, <laughs> arousal regulation i think makes sense but yeah. the whole mac thing yeah maybe I that was what threw me off was maybe. just this thing
1: yeah because like the something i find i guess or have been finding in like our experiences with this podcast uh is that there's a lot of Or not even this podcast, but just like improving yourself or improving performance or like why CEOs are such great performers and whatever is that there's a lot of just hokey ideas. Like people just keep coming up with ideas like self-help books, for example, like there's the art of tidying up, but then there's another self-help book that's like, but if you enjoy things around you, then don't tidy up or like tidy up, but don't tidy
0: up too much and whatever. Learning to live with mess or like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, good title for (laughs) it. self-help my them. life
1: um anyway yeah so i feel like that's kind of what the vibe i was getting from the mech approach it's like oh it worked on these three people or like these
0: three people had positive experiences with it mm-hmm. these were the empirical tests i don't know if this has worked for other people but yeah, yeah. so
1: that's i encounter that a lot where uh, we encounter that with psychology that it, and i think we mentioned this in our like general psychology episode that there's part of the reason psychology is not considered a science is because there's no like one
0: ruling. Like there's a lot of, there's no like discord. one answer. Yeah. yeah.
1: There's a lot of discord between
0: psychiatrists, psychologists over what is right. Well, and cause it also so depends on the person. Yeah. Like what works for one person might not work for another person. That doesn't make either of them wrong. It doesn't mean that like neither of them are valid or like scientifically proven it just means that it didn't work for you when it worked for someone yeah. else yeah. yeah yeah
1: but so basically after how long have we been talking like yeah, an hour should, and a half we should like, probably wrap this shit up there's there's no way to improve being a <laughs> sport an athlete a sport i was gonna say sport person <laughs> There's a sport no, person in no way I just wanted to mention one anecdote that I didn't get to squish in oh go for it yeah I would like to talk about I was talking to a friend of mine about like body image and the idea that like girls for example have a lot of body image issues and like boys tend to have body image issues but I think uh, or not tend to but like can also have body image issues but girls have them more often whatever And I was always, I was thinking back, I was like, I've always been like on the heavier side of average. Like I think of myself as average, but I've always kind of been on the heavier side. There was a boy in school that I had a crush on and he called me thunder thighs and whatever. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, what a fucking punch to the gut. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I like my thighs, my always, my thighs have always been like, big and strong and whatever it's cause you're
0: a super strong fucking skier
1: well and that's the thing and i like looking back i was like of all the things that i'm self-conscious about and of all the things that i'm uncomfortable with my body is not one of them like i've had chunkier times i've had thinner times but like i've always just felt good about my body because i was always in sports yeah i was always in team sports and i feel you're, like you are athletic my body like maybe I don't have like an athletic body type because I do also really enjoy chili with a ton of cheese on it and (laughs) whatever. But like just my body is a tool in my eyes and like that has come to me from my experience in sports. Like I was always playing volleyball. I was always always playing soccer, like skiing. I, I was good. I was really, really good at skiing. So I was like these thunder thunder thighs and like huge fucking calves that I have that turn into cankles. Like I have no problem with them because that's what makes me an amazing, like, wow, I'm being so cocky, but like, that's what makes me a really good skier. That's what makes me powerful. So I really like the idea of like kids being in sports. And especially if I have kids, like, They're going into team sports and they're going to find what they're good at because then they use they view their body as a tool, which is what it is. Instead of like, oh, I have to look this way to feel good about myself or like boys will like me or like I have to look this way to have any sort of self value. But instead, they'll be like, I my body performs this way and that's my self value. My
0: body is strong and whatever. Sorry, I went on that a tangent. <laughs> that was I, deep. I relate, but I relate um, to the opposite. Like I was never athletic and I was never in sports and I had like huge fucking body and self-confidence issues. And I never thought of my body that way. But when I started running
1: so um, like, a few years powerful.
0: ago, it was like... I saw the results that I wanted in a healthy way in terms of my body image, as opposed to in an unhealthy way, which is what I had sort of been living with before that. Um, but yeah, felt like it wasn't about that anymore that it was like, whoa, I ran really fucking hard. I ran for a really long time and I didn't get a cramp and I like, feel good about myself for that. Yeah. On that note, I, I know another woman who, uh, in the last two years she's got into professional, um, bodybuilding. Oh, nice. Yeah. Not weightlifting, but like bodybuilding Bodybuilding. competitions and shit like that. So, um, and, and she's was self-conscious about it, getting into it, but I think she just sort of needed to put herself into a world she didn't know and try something different and, and that sort of thing. And she, It shares it on Facebook. She like shows her progress on Facebook, which is cool. But, um, somebody said to her like, what's the deal with that? And was like, kind of like sassy about it. Like deal is go fuck yourself. Yeah. And it was like, it made her feel not good about herself. And it was like the whole point of her doing this is to feel good about herself, not necessarily about her body. Like she's using her body to do it, but like setting these goals and achieving these goals Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. um, like thinking about where you want to be and finding yourself there and all of those sorts of things. That's what she was working towards. And it just happened to be that her body is the product of that. And it was sort of defeating that that other person said that thing to her and like totally didn't get it. That's so Um, shitty. Yeah. My closing thoughts about sports psychology and like sports in general is that
1: if you have the opportunity to be on a team or if you have the opportunity to exercise do it. Like if you're able to, if you are given that opportunity, do it because it makes you more social. It gives you the tools you need to function in a cooperative environment and that sort of thing. And also it like, as a girl, that's invaluable. I always wondered, I was like, how did I escape my childhood without body issues? And that's why, because my body is
0: power. My body is a tool. Yeah. That's a good way to, Yeah, that's a really good way to think of it and to not be distracted by like the body images that are out there, Um, probably for men too, like um, like men certainly have body image issues. And um, I don't know that it's as widely talked about or like under not understood, But but boys are typically put into sports more often than girls yeah but if you're a boy who doesn't fall into sports if you're a boy who's not really athletic or not really interested or if the particular sport that you're into isn't is is like esports or um i think
1: arguably you're more susceptible to having body image issues yeah maybe you are the numbers
0: but that'd be an interesting study somebody send us money (laughs) to do this study on a bunch of kids yeah yeah we'll just study a bunch of kids for a while this was cool yeah. I didn't know this world and I'm interested and glad that I kind of know it now. Um, so thank I'm you. nodding silently. Thank you, Marta. Thank you, Marta, for all of your teachings today, your wisdom today. You mean um, my babblings? No problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a brook. I babble. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I just really like the phrase babbling brook. <laughs> so alliteration. Yeah.
1: Mm. I use it whenever I can. Babbling brook.
0: Babbling brook. Sorry. Babbling brook. Yeah, cool. Um, well, thank you, Marta, for your babblings. Um, thank you, listeners, for your listenings. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> keep that in. <laughs> um, we we hope you enjoyed the episode today, and I hope, in general, that that listeners have enjoyed the all of the episodes that we've been posting recently. Um, some things to to mention: we are, uh, I think, we've previously been mentioning that we're available on soundcloud Mm -hmm. or on i don't know if we specified that soundcloud but i thought we did uh in any case we are now hosted on podbean you can also you can listen to us there you can also listen to us on google play and i think we're also working on getting who knew we didn't onto itunes
1: not only google play but anybody like a lot of podcast listening apps uh just pull from all of the hosting sites. So I know mm. that
0: we're on a couple
1: apps. Like one of our colleagues. kick Player yeah. FM? Yeah. Is that what he uses? Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, we're on that one. So check us out there. <laughs> have fun. Um, we also have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. We have a Twitter now. Whoop-whoop. Who knew we didn't at all of these places? Um, all one word, no punctuation or anything like that. Um, and if you uh, would like, you can also email us at who knew we didn't at gmail.com. If you have any ideas to share or corrections or questions or anything, um, good vibes are always good. Uh, we'd love to hear from you (laughs) if you, if you have something to say. Um, and of course be sure to like subscribe, rate, share whatever you want to do through whatever player you are using to listen to this podcast. Um, and, stay tuned for our next new episode. I don't know exactly what we have planned for coming up, but, um, we mentioned a relationship series coming up. We've been, you know, a few different things in the works in our brains. So who knows what we'll do? We don't, we don't know yet. Um, but listen next time and you will find out. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.